and turn the air on. Um, but uh, I, I'm never comfortable. That's just me. That's that's a problem. It's just me. So, but um, here I am uh, trying to cool myself off again. But uh, I'm glad to be here together with you, and I hope that you are uh, ready to receive from God's word today. If you want to take your Bibles with me, and let's turn to the book of Ezra today. Ezra chapter number one. Ezra chapter one. The Lord's just been kind of working my heart as we've been progressing on Wednesday nights uh, through the Old Testament, uh, just in a survey sense. I found myself uh, in a personal way back in the book of Ezra. And uh, so I've been uh, finding myself digging in there. We may be in there uh, for a few weeks. We may not be. I really don't know. It, sometimes it really just depends on how, how I feel that the Lord is leading, and other times I just know that uh, uh, God has me in a, in a specific passage. And, um, you know, I've been asked before, how do you know what to preach on? You know, uh, Brother Kenny, you've probably been asked that too at times. And, and uh, sometimes you don't know until just the day before, and God kind of works in your heart about different things. And um, I remember hearing a preacher say it this way, and I, I really think this is true. Sometimes God prepares uh, a preacher for a sermon to preach uh, weeks, sometimes months in advance uh, through a passage or something that's just been kind of been in your mind and you've been thinking on it, and God's kind of developing a message for you to bring from that. And so, uh, But we find ourselves in the book of Ezra this morning. Not really a book of the Bible that is most commonly, I would say, uh, come to. Uh, maybe the pages in our Bible stick a little bit more than others. Uh, if, you're, if your Bible even was like mine up until I've started digging into it, maybe not as many notes or underlinings here and there. Um, you know, we, we come to the book of Ezra, and in order really to understand fully what's happening, we have to kind of take a glimpse of what's taking place already in history uh, up to this point. And uh, the people, uh, the Jews, the children of Israel, as we've also, uh, they've also been called, They've been in and under 70 years of captivity under Babylon. And uh, it wasn't until uh, the Medes and the Persians took out Babylon uh, that they, they were now under that leadership. Uh, but in the midst of that, them being conquered by Babylon, the temple was destroyed, the city was destroyed, the walls were destroyed. And so as you would read in the Old Testament, the book of Ezra speaks of the building, rebuilding of the temple. And the book of Nehemiah speaks of the rebuilding of the walls around the city, around the temple. And so the book of Ezra, uh, we don't, we're not even truthfully introduced to the character Ezra until later on in the book. Uh, we, we find uh, the children of Israel being led by a man by the name of Zerubbabel and Joshua. Not the same Joshua that we find earlier on in Scripture, but a different Joshua. These men were the ones to whom God had chosen to lead a remnant of people back into Jerusalem. And what has taken place? Well, uh, the, having been now under the, rulers, the, king, the, the rulership of Persia, uh, God rose up another king, and that king allowing the children of Israel and or the Jews to go back to their homeland in Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And so with that context in mind, we, we read of that, we find of that all through the book of Ezra and um, you know, these things are all, Ezra is a prophetic scripture taking place. As we would read in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah writes of the remnant that is to come. Isaiah 1 verse 9, except the Lord had left us unto a very small remnant. He's speaking of things to come. Ezra tells us of that remnant. 
In fact, it's uh, Zerubbabel and Joshua who read the, lead the first group of that remnant. And we could really call them the second half of that remnant is led by Ezra himself later on within the book. Uh, today we're going to look at the beginning of the, the book of Ezra and uh, kind of catching a little bit from the, the first chapters uh, because uh, as we would read of the genealogies in chapter 2 uh, at a different time, not today, uh, that speaks of that, that history and all the things that, that took place uh, of the generations that went into the land. Uh, but we are, we're seeking to gain what the Word of God has for us uh, from the text itself. And I've entitled the message this morning, Returning to Biblical Worship. Returning to Biblical Worship. When we consider that which the Jews were sent back to Israel to do, it was to return back to a proper, and we, could we say a biblical, worship before God. They were returning back to God, returning back to their faith, returning back to what God had intended for them to do, from the very beginning. You remember the whole destruction of Babylon was only as a result of the children of Israel's sin. And as you would read in the historical books, 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, uh, and, and all through the life of, uh, of all the kings and through David and then his son Solomon and, uh, the, the, and Josiah and uh, the kings going from uh, doing good and then doing bad and then doing good and doing bad and following the way of their fathers and Sin had become so prevalent among God's people that there even came a point of, the God div of, of the dividing of the very kingdom itself. You had a northern and a southern kingdom to where now even God's people are divided because of their intermarriage and their giving in to the different sins uh, within the Old Testament. So Ezra is a book uh, that, uh, that God gives to us in Scripture uh, describing to us that return, the returning of the remnant. Isaiah speaks prophetically of the remnant. Ezra in Nehemiah speaks concerning the, the, the prophecy being fulfilled, that remnant coming in. And so when we consider the subject for today, returning to biblical worship, I want you to notice, I mean, notice with me, first of all, what the Word of God says in verse number 1 of chapter 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia. Then he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Verse 3, Who is there among you of all his people. Let's pray. Our heavenly gracious Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray as we study today and as we seek to apply today your word of, the, the word of God, your word that you've given to us. May you open our hearts and our minds to what you would have for us. We ask and pray all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's of importance to notice in the first verse, the Bible tells us of that which was being fulfilled. I said a moment ago, how that this was prophecy being fulfilled of Jeremiah having spoken and, and Isaiah being, having spoken of these things that are to come. God always keeps his word. Amen. And as we read in, in, uh, pr previously in scripture of that which God had promised, we see it taking place. In verse 2, we read of a king, not one even of the Jews, not one even of God's chosen people, but someone to whom God was using to accomplish his work. Could I remind us today, and how could this not remind us of, of such, that God can even use 
people that are not of God to accomplish his work. Amen? That even the, the people who we would think the least likely to do, any, to, to do anything that is of God, yet God can still use them. Uh, put it in words for today. Uh, you, you may not agree with everything uh, the governor, the president, uh, you know, our mayor, whatever form of leadership, but God can still use them to accomplish his work. You say, well, how? Because God is God. Amen? And, when, and, and by the way, we're reminded of the, of the fact that God gave a promise in verse 1 of Ezra chapter 1. As God promises, so he always keeps his promise. And, and as we've been told in Scripture, yes, sin will wax worse and worse, but yet God has promised us uh, that he will return for his own and that we have a wonderful home in heaven to look forward to and all those who are believers. So the, those promises of God, the promise of his return, is that which we should be holding on to. Not dwelling so much on all the, the things which are happening in the here and now of what, what we don't think is going so right or not going our way. God is still in control. Amen? And so as we consider returning to biblical worship, the Bible tells us in uh, chapter uh, uh, number 1 and in chapter 2 of Zerubbabel and J Joshua leading this remnant. And we read of what the people of God uh, were to do in order to have a biblical worship. And all through the book of Ezra, you read of the, the, a pattern which God lays out. This is that proper worship. And we can't help but ask ourselves the question to begin with, what is worship? Some would conclude worship to, to be uh, the time in which we are spending today on Sunday in God's house. While it is a form of worship, yet worship is an everyday and should be an everyday part of our life in a relationship with God. Amen? In the Old Testament and the New Testament, the, the words which were predominantly used to define worship literally speak of one who is prostrating oneself in reverence, in adoration. This is the very idea into which uh, we gain in worship. When we consider a returning back to God, the people of God had lost a proper focus of who God is and their worship to God and their faithfulness to God and the promises of God. And, and so uh, what had defined uh, worship for them, it was not of any adoration before God. It, it, rather, it became in many ways a tradition, a formality. In some cases, it became purely a man-focused uh, man, man religion. Returning to biblical worship. Can I say to you that there is a need, not just in America, but in the world today, for God's people to return to biblical worship. To biblical worship. Uh, in, in society today, worship has been redefined. And we conclude that we have truly worshipped God, but have we truly worshipped as God tells us according to Scripture. As you read in the book of Ezra, we find a remnant which is returning back. And what are they returning back to? Well, to build the temple, but not just the temple. They were returning back to a proper form of worship, in which God had intended for them to have. We're not, God was not instructing them to build a building which they could all sit in and listen to one speaker speak to them, and, and which they could all... Uh, you know, seen together at, at, at a certain time in the week and, and they could, uh, you know, listen together from God's word at a certain time and that, that was to be the only conclusion of it all. But I say to you this morning that as, 
as we would think, well, yeah, obviously God wasn't instructing that. So today, in society today, in our world today, we de have developed a mentality of worship to be just that. Here, I'm coming to church. I'm coming to worship. Well, you can come to church and not worship. Uh, you don't have to be at church to worship. What truly is worship? Again, I say to you, it's a, such a relationship with God that keeps our mind and our heart prostrate before the Lord and, and uh, acknowledgement of who He is. We use the word fearing God. It's a recognition of all that God is. And now everything we're doing for God is because, uh, is because of our love relationship with Him. It's because we know all that He is and all that He's done for us. And everything that God is, is producing, as a result, a love for Him just the same. And I'm doing it because. And I'm worshiping and recognizing Him and, and praising His name because of who He is. And not just because this is expected of me. Not because I've always been raised in church. Not because my parents always taught me this way. Not because, well, it's Sunday and I'm supposed to be in church. Not because, oh, well, all of Norfolk and everyone is religious, so I've got to be in church somewhere. Uh, not just because church is good and I need to be around good people. Not just because the church does good outreach things and I need to do those things too. The, 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 we've lost a sense of what God truly defines as worship. And so what is required of the people of God in order to have biblical worship? I say to you, first of all, as we read in the book of Ezra, it begins with separation. It begins with separation. You know what truly defines the Christian? And I'm not talking about religion. You can define denomination, non-denomination, denomination, religion, all together, however you want to. We're not talking about religion. We're talking about uh, a, a believer in God. What defines a Christian from the world? The first of those things is separation. They've chosen not to isolate themselves from the world, but to insulate themselves in God. They've chosen that, that they would separate themselves unto God, to seek to be like God and not like the world. And therefore, because I'm seeking to be like God, there are things that I choose not to do. Not because of anything more than God has convicted my heart through His Word, and through all that I know Him to be, that this is not how the Christian is to live. The problem today is that churches are defining a worship service that provides so much of everything else other than true, proper worship. Biblical worship. We're not talking about uh, anything more than, in this first principle, of someone who is separated Unto God. Uh, churches are becoming more like the world. And what is the church? The church is the people. Not the pastor, not the building, it's the people. Ch churches are becoming more like the world than they are becoming more like God. You say, well, pastor, you just said a moment ago that the world's going to wax worse and worse. Of course it's going to become that way. But God's people, God's people are not to become like the world. I want you to understand this, that there was, the Bible describes it, Isaiah calls it, a very small remnant. And all the children of Israel, and all the Jews, God chose a very, and allowed a very small remnant to finish the work of God, to continue in the work of God. And I say to you, it is possible, 
to be a part of the remnants, but not be separated unto God. Are you following me? If you read the history, you would find that the Jews being under the leadership of the, having been overthrown, Babylon was overthrown by the Medes and the Persians. So here's the king of Persia and the, the children of Israel, the Jews are living uh, amongst the people. By now they've intermarried, they've had families, you've got a whole other generation of people. And so when the king makes this decree and in writing lays it out and says all the Jews can go back to Jerusalem, well not all of them went. Yes, they were all the remnants, but not all of them went. And in fact, some of them who desired to go and return back to worship, they had not separated themselves unto God. Look at Ezra chapter 2 and verse 1. The Word of God says, Now these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away. So these are that next generation. Okay, I'm not going to read through all the names. If you desire to read through them later, go for it. Okay, we're not going to struggle through some of those names today. Amen? Uh, but uh, that's chapter 2 as we see predominantly. But in verse 62, we see this matter of separation. Notice what the Word of God says. Uh, actually, look at verse 61. Of the children of the priests, the children of Habiah, the children of Koz, the children of Bazilia, which took a wife of the daughters of Bazilia, the Giladite, and was called after their name. These sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore were they as polluted, put from the priesthood. And the Tershitha uh, said unto them that they should not eat of the most holy things till there stood up a priest with Urim and with uh, Thummim. And so what does the word of God tell us? Verse 62. Don't get caught and confused with these names. These sought their register. They sought to be amongst them. They said, we're a part of the remnants. We're the priests. We're the men of God. But as they looked at their life, they said, No. You've intermarried, you've given yourself into the sin, you've associated yourself with sin, you've not separated yourself unto God. So you cannot be a part. The message today is not to say that God does not welcome some. Okay? I'm not saying that today. Please don't misunderstand. God loves all people. Amen? And God welcomes all people. But when we talk about those who are the people of God, the children of God, Christians, as we define it in the 21st century, Every believer, are we separated unto God? Society, uh, society is one thing, but churches alone taking a seriousness, and again, the church is the people. Churches taking a seriousness in separating unto God from the world is becoming more and more of a lost thing. We're embracing the way that the world is doing things and considering it normal uh, that, that churches uh, would welcome a homosexual agenda. It should not be. Amen? Uh, that, that churches uh, would look past abortion and say, oh, well, it's just, it's just part of society. It should not be. Now, we speak the truth in love. There's an appropriate way to stand up for things. 
We don't go and get in people's faces and, and say, oh, you're not doing right for God. But we, we stand in obedience to God's word for that which is right. And we speak up for that which is right. We'll see that together in, in Scripture. But understand, what was the problem? The, there were those that were a part of the remnant that chose not to separate. Christian, are you separated unto God? It, do you identify to others as one who seeks to live a disciplined and separated life from the world? You say, well, what do you mean by separation, Pastor Miller? You, you do, the truth is, as Christians, with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, we know, by the conviction of the Holy Spirit within us, we know how that God intends for us to live. That little, we call it gut feeling within us, that says, I'm just not really sure about that, or I'm hesitant about it. That's the Holy Spirit convicting us. Now, it's possible that for some, we've so seared our conscience that we don't even realize we're doing wrong anymore. And how unfortunate that is. And, and truth be told, that's as we see in Scripture here, that's what has happened to some in the remnant. Could it be that we've so seared our conscience? The Bible tells us that for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, do you seek to guard yourself, to separate yourself, to keep yourself from the things of this world? We're always trying to cookie-cut Scripture. Well, the Bible doesn't specifically say, yeah, let's get past all the specifics and just come back to the principle. Is what you are seeking to do and or not do, is it separating yourself unto God? Pastors can get so caught in, well, it's this way kind of way you dress, it's this kind of Bible version you have, it's this kind of thing that you have, and then you're truly separated. Well, truthfully, separate unto God is in our heart we, at, to the best of our ability, we're choosing to not do specific things because it could be associated, because it could be taken by the non-believer to be something else, because it doesn't represent Christ in the greatest way, because some people do it, and it most definitely doesn't represent Christ. And so what are we doing? We used to hear this in school all the time, in college. Take the high road. We're, we're absolutely taking the, the, the most above reproach choice in our Christian life so that we, to the best of our ability, can represent Christ. Because God says, be holy for I am holy. So why would we not seek to be as much like God as possible, rather than straddle the edge? That's what so many of us as Christians do. We straddle the edge of the Christian life. We do as much as is absolutely possible to still be uh, called and associated as a Christian, but enough to be accepted by the world. It was Moses himself said, who is on the Lord's side? Choose your side. You can't, you can't say that you are on the Lord's side when you're straddling the line because you've already chosen your side. You're either with God or you're not. You're either separated unto God or you're not. So, returning to biblical worship requires separation. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. The Word of God says, Wherefore, come out from among you, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. I remember in Bible college, we had a class that uh, was specifically on music. Uh, I can't remember the name of the class, but it, it was, um, I remember the name of it, but uh, it, the whole context was about, you know, worship was the first subject, and then talking about uh, the type of music, and, and the teacher we had was very good at, you know, just throwing 
the questions back at you and really, you know, just probing you and poking at you, trying to get you to answer and, and challenging us to bring him. He, he'd say, he'd say, ask me anything. He's like, go home or go back to your dormitory. Think about a question to ask me and try to stump me. He's like, I'll give you an answer, okay? And so uh, we would, there were so many questions asked and the subject was on music. And, and I remember, I, I can't remember exactly what the question was I asked, but I, I was very proud of my thinking up of the question that I was going to ask. And I felt like I truthfully might trip him up because I, I, I thought it out and I hadn't been the first one to ask. It was mid, middle of the semester by this point, you know, and, and I was like, okay, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really challenge him because I was coming to a point in my life where trying to decide what is, truthfully, who defines what is proper music and acceptable music before God. And so I remember giving him my question and, and he gave the same, very similar answer to what I gave you just a moment ago. He said, stop getting so specific. You're getting all the specific and trying to know exactly what kind, what genre, what is it. Look at the principle. The principle, in this case, concerning separation, worship that is acceptable before God. You find it however you will, but is it acceptable before God? Is it separating unto God? Is it separating from the world? We, we can get so, you know, trying to look for the specifics, but let's look at what God says in the principle. Separating unto God. Amen? So many preachers have ruined the very testimony of God by, by preaching and plumbing down on one specific thing. You've got to do it exactly this way how I'm telling you to do it. God says, separate unto me. If God convicts you in your heart that you need to live... Now, don't get me wrong. Now, you might, I'm not saying, well, God has convicted me that I, 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 don't, I don't think that drinking is wrong. And God does say principles concerning Scripture about alcohol and, and, and other areas concerning that matter and, and other matters for that case. Make sure you know the Word of God before you just say, I believe it. Okay? Don't just say, well, I just believe. Well, no. What does Scripture say about it? Amen? Scripture tells us how we are to separate unto... We're talking about in the general sense of separation, okay? So you, if you want to know specifics, we'll dig into God's Word and find what God's Word says about it. And it may not say black and white, well, uh, you need to wear this, or you can't go to this place, or these things cannot be done. Uh, it may not say those black and white things, but it does say the principle. Does it separate unto God? If you examine that, that thing that you are desiring to do with your life, does it associate with God? Does every circle of it give the highest representation of God that when others see you either do or not do that thing, that they would not question whether or not you're a Christian or that they would, that they would be able to say, wow, there's something different about them. That's how you should be measuring the separation. It, it's, it's so defining my life according to God. Not according to pastor, not according to some man-made book or whatever you want to call it. It's unto God. Amen? So, a returning to worship. The Bible tells us that we are to be separated unto God. Number two, the Word of God tells us that the people of God are to be advancing. The people of God are to be advancing. In Ezra chapter 3, we now see the progression of the people coming into Jerusalem. And they are now beginning to advance into the work of God. They've yet to uh, fully begin it, but they're beginning to advance into it. And notice the wording which Ezra uses in Scripture in verse number, uh, let's see, verse number 8 of chapter 3. The Word of God says, Now in the second year of their coming into the house of God at Jerusalem, the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of uh, Shetil, and Jeshia, the son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come 
out of the captivity unto Jerusalem and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren Cadmiel and his sons and the sons of Judah together to set forward the workmen in the house of God. Did you catch it? The repetition there in verse 8 and verse 9. God doesn't repeat things by accident. The word of God says that they, that they did what they did to set forward the work in the house of the Lord. Hudson Taylor taught that there is one goal in Christian service. And he said it this way, God is always advancing. God is always advancing. And what we mean by that is if we are truly in tune with God and in the work of God, we're going to be advancing. We're going to be moving. We're going to be progressing. Going somewhere further than just sitting and, quote-unquote, living the Christian life. The Christian is always advancing. The people of God are advancing. I say to you that advancing in the work of God requires, number one, unity. It requires unity. Look at verse number one of chapter three. Verse one of chapter three. The Bible says, When the seventh month was come and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as what? As what? One man. They gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. There was a unity that took place. And what was that unity? Oh, because they all had this similar personalities. They all got along, right? They all loved to play soccer together, and they liked to watch the right television shows, and, and they, just, you know, they just really got along. They were all similar age, all the same generation. They just really clicked with one another, and that, that was unity. No. But in today's world, we define unity that way. We define unity as our personality commonalities, and so, because we have those, now there's unity, there's fellowship. We're able to work together better than with other people. No. When we're talking about unity in the people of God, it was with, catch this, they had a oneness with God, a unity with God. They all had the same focus and intent in their mind from God to return to worship. Every one of them had the same focus. The Bible says that all the people together as one man gathered together, very similar to like we see the early church in the book of Acts. People gathering together in one accord. There's an equal focus, vision, drive. Everything that we're all shooting for is the same. And we're all moving in motion together to accomplish the work of God. This, I say to you, is how that God intends for his church to move. Amen? We're advancing in unity. We're advancing. We're moving forward together. God impresses upon the heart of the pastor a vision and, a, and, a, and a, an intent. And so the people to gather together and say, yes, we're, we're together with them. And so now as a church, uh, God raises up other leaders. And as leaders are, are leading, some leaders, leaders are leading some followers. But uh, together as a church, we're going together, what? All consecutively together to accomplish the work of God. See, when there's not unity, is when the work of God is taking place, or being sought to be taking place, but the work of man is also desired. You know, I, the, 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 there's a, there is a fine, how to truly describe it, there's a fine line between what someone says, what I think is best and what they think is best. You know? Well, I don't agree with that. I really don't. I just don't think that it should happen. Well, w unity 
is God's people joined together in faith, believing, seeing the ultimate focus and saying, you know what? Here's the most important thing. Sometimes we define unity, you know, churches will divide themselves and, you know, here's a, here's a church board and the church board says, well, I, I was the one guy who didn't vote for that. I just want to make sure everyone knows I, I didn't vote for that. That wasn't me. You know, here's the whole church. They vote on something together and, you know, I was part of that 10%. We said it shouldn't have happened, okay? We're not talking about necessarily painting a wall, okay? Although, unfortunately, we get so petty that it comes down to the, even the small things. But we're, we're considering the big picture. What has God left his people here on earth to do? I'm the first one to say the gospel. Amen? The gospel should be. But it's not just the gospel. So, oh, Pastor. That we're growing in grace. Growing in our faith in Christ. Growing together with God. Amen? We said this in Sunday school, but you cannot reach others with the gospel if you are not looking at your own life. And by the way, your first ministry as well as mine is our own home. Amen? So if we are truly seeking to accomplish the ministry of God, we're to be reaching our home. If we're not reaching our home, then how can we ever expect to reach the lost? Amen? There's got to be unity. We all desire and intend for the same thing. We're all shooting for the same goal. We're all, we're all praising God for the same things. We're all seeking to accomplish the ultimate work. At the end of the day, are there going to be crowns in heaven for those who chose to have green carpet as opposed to purple carpet? No. It's carpet. Okay? If I could take this carpet up to heaven, which I'm not going to, but God would not really care. Okay? There's streets of gold up in heaven. Does it really matter? You know? Uh, at the end of the day, if, if something sought to be done uh, with a car with six wheels as opposed to a car with four wheels, does it really make a difference? No. Okay? Now, if you find a car with six wheels, let me know. I'd love to see it. Okay? But uh, uh, my point is this. We can get so focused on the, 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 the method and how the work is done. But the means should never change. Amen? The means is that God would be glorified, that we're growing in Christ, and that through our growth, we're leading and bringing others to God. So the Bible tells us that the people of God are always advancing, and advancing in the work of God requires unity. It requires a oneness of mind. We're seeking to accomplish the vision, the goal, the focus that God has for the church, the church being the people. Number two, advancing in the work of God requires uh, laying all on the altar. It requires laying all on the altar. In verse number two, I want you to notice what took place. The Bible tells us in verse one, they gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. But verse two, then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and his brethren, and builded the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon. As it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon the bases. Some people believe that the altar which they put together upon those bases were, were, was and were the old bases in which the altar had previously been on. We don't know that. To argue that it's not really worth it at the end of the day. But here's what we do know. That they haven't even started any of the work. Where do they start? On the altar. They started with God. And I say to you, in any work of God, if it's good to be advancing, it has to begin with God. Amen? It has to begin with God. We told the kids in, in Bible school, everything begins with God and everything ends with God. Because truthfully, in the Christian life, that's how it should be. 
As soon as we come to a knowledge of Christ, we begin every moment, every day, every hour with God. Counsel with God, communication with God, conversation with God. Should we say prayer with God? God's in it all. And that by the end of our life, it can be said of us that we have been with God. We separated unto God. We're advancing together with God, in the work of God, seeking to accomplish with one mind that God's work would be done. Laying all on the altar, putting God first. It always begins with God. Today, many religious things happen in churches, uh, but we have to remember what has God given us to do? Is the work of God advancing? We're not talking about religious work. We're talking about advancing the work. We're accomplishing God's work. We're moving forward with what God has commissioned us to do. Amen? That's the work. That should be the focal, sole focus of every church. But we get folks in so many of the religious things. Now, don't get me wrong. There are many good things. Outreach opportunities. There are, there's a proper time and place for a church, I believe, even to reach out into the community in a different fashion than, you know, handing out gospel tracts. There's outreach opportunities that a church should do. But it should not be the primary focus. Amen? And this is where churches, the people, come off wrong. Because we like to do good things for other people because it makes others happy. Who doesn't like to make others happy, right? And in some sense, we almost seek to accomplish to make everyone happy. Oh, God just loves you. We just all serve God. We all love one another. But I say to you that a Christian who is seeking to accomplish the work of God and is separated unto God will be so separated that there will be friction. A Christian who is separated unto God and is seeking to advance in the work of God, there will be distractions that come our way. The Bible tells us in chapter 3 and 4, we find as the work begins, oh, there's joy. Look at verse 12. That many of the priests and the Levites and the chief fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. You had two different sides of people. The, the older people said, oh, I miss it how it was. The younger people said, yay for change. Woo! This is what's happening, okay? Some are praising, some are weeping. Some are glad for what it is. Some are glad for or, or wish that it was what it once was, okay? They didn't believe it met up to par. They're talking about the, 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 the temple itself, verse 13. So the people could not discern the noise of the shout of the joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Ultimately, what's the, what's the focus here? There was not such weeping that they were out of uh, whack and focused with God. There will always be things which we miss from the past. But what we see in its principle here, there was joy. There was such a cry of joy for the work of God that was take going forward. But I say to you, when God begins to advance and his work begins to advance and it's moving forward and God's people are in unity and God's people are separated and God's work is being accomplished, it's then that Satan, it's then that Satan seeks to resist. It's then that Satan begins to insert himself in to distract, to disrupt, and to stop the work. And what we read about in the book of Ezra, go back and read it on your own time, Ezra chapter 4, 
Satan succeeds in stopping the work. And that's why we see the prophets themselves, Haggai and, uh, and um, Zechariah, the, 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 those prophets writing to the Jews, they are writing concerning the foundation of, of the house of God which only was laid. Nothing else had been finished. They stopped at the foundation. They hadn't finished the work. And Haggai put it this way, you're dwelling in your sealed houses and the house of God is lying to waste. You're forgetting the whole point of why God sent you back to Jerusalem. It was to return to a right focus in worship. That was what the temple stood for. It was that place, it, it was that focus that, that and even the, as we would read in, in the Old Testament of the, the, the Ark of God that represented Christ. The Bible tells us in Ezra chapter 4 that though God's work was advancing, yet the people of God, they quit. And so as we consider a biblical pattern for worship, what must me do? Well, we must continue. We must be continuous in the work. We must be continuous in the work. Look at Ezra 4, verse 1. Now when the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin heard that the children of the captivity built, uh, builded the temple unto the Lord God of Israel, then they came to Zerubbabel and to the chief of the fathers and saith unto them, Let us build with you, for we seek your God as ye do. And we do a sacrifice unto him since the day of Esarhaddon, king of Asher, which brought us up hither. You find the enemy rising up. Verse 3. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua, the rest of the chief of the fathers of Israel, saith unto them, Ye have nothing to do with us to build an house unto our God, but we ourselves together will build unto the Lord God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, hath commanded us. What's happening here? The leaders are stepping up. They start off right. Boy, they say, hey, the king's given us a clear command. We've come back. He's helping to provide the supplies. And we're, we're, we've been given everything back to rebuild. And we're here to accomplish the work. And we know that what you're saying is not part of the work of God. And we'll have no part of it. And you, uh, you, you should have no part of it with us. I say, first of all, that where are the leaders in the house of God? Amen? That we would so step up. Hey, who built the altar, as we just read a moment ago? It was the leaders. So you have the remnant, but within the remnant, God so places a passion upon the heart of some within the remnant that they are willing to boldly step out and lead. You know, God has placed in so many of us the gift of leadership. What is it that's holding you back from leading? The Bible tells us that the adversary still continued, and you know who... They first came to, who was the first people they came to? They came to the leaders. And Christian, you know, when the work of God begins, the first people that Satan seeks to take out is the leaders. They got a big old target on their back. Community Bible Church. Here's pastor, here's the deacon board, here's all the Sunday school teachers. They're the first ones Satan's going to take out. Why is it that the Sunday school classes can be filled and sometimes there's not a Sunday school teacher because the Sunday school teachers got sick, right? Does that always happen by coincidence? I would say coincidence, but sometimes it just happens. But truthfully, I believe that Satan desires to take out the leadership of any work of God. That's the first thing he comes for. Leaders, are we prepared? Are we guarding ourselves? Are we stepping up as God would have for us to do? And as a church, are we supporting one another? You know, 
there's a proper place as a church member to help to guard the leadership. That they would be well spoken of. That they would, there would not be a negative word said. That gossip would not be given a listening ear to. You're guarding the leadership. Hey, this is the work of God. These are the people of God. These are the leaders of God. Don't, don't say that about them. God has given them that position. Well, I don't agree with... Well, that's okay, but God put them there. And truthfully, that's, that's the ultimate matter. God gives the leadership within the church, within the people of God. And for whom God places in the leadership, the deacon board, the Sunday school teachers, the pastor, if it's a youth pastor, if it's an associate pastor, uh, if it's a Hispanic pastor, if it's a, whatever it may be, the leadership that God places there, he's, he's given them that position. It's from God. But the enemy sees him as a target. He's going to seek to discourage him. He's going to, he's going to seek to give burdens to them, to distract them, give them a busy schedule so that they don't have time for any of the work of God anymore. And I'm talking to the leaders, just the same men of our church. Amen. Satan's the first one. Satan it, coming after you first. You're the first one Satan's coming for. The leadership in a church, the backbone of church, as we just read, Ezra calls them the ancient ones. But hey, those of you who are the backbone of this church, the older ones, you're holding, you're holding down the fort. The leadership. Don't let Satan come for the leadership. Number two, the enemy offers another way. I mentioned it already, but verse four, the people of the land weakened the hands of the people of Judah and troubled them in building. See, now the work of God has finally started and suddenly it comes to a stop. They weaken their hands, how? By getting their eyes off the Lord. And truthfully, that's all it takes. That's all it takes. I say it like it's something uh, so simple, but in some sense it is relatively simple if we've not guarded ourselves. Because there's so many things that Satan seeks to use in this world to distract us from finishing the work of God. And what is the work? Let's remember. It's that we would grow in, in our knowledge of Christ, that we would grow and go on into perfection. And then as a result, we would then reach the loss for Christ. That's the goal. The Bible tells us the enemy offers another way. Hey, you've got some overtime. You don't need to go to the house of God. You they're doing an outreach. You don't need to be a part of the outreach. You don't, you know, you don't really have time to talk, to talk to other people. You're not really a social person. You don't need to share the gospel at your workplace. You, you, know, you don't really uh, need to separate from the world. I mean, what really is so wrong with these things? Don't worry about reading scripture. Just, you know, is it really that wrong? I mean, look at all the good people that are doing it. Are they doing wrong? And Satan will be an insert thoughts into our minds. What? To distract us. To cause us to debate. To consider. Hey, is what God's telling me, is it really wrong? Is it really, is it really okay for me to do this? And, and suddenly now we become as Adam and Eve in the garden. And we so see ourselves that we could, that it's a worthy thing that we would become like God. And so therefore, my choice supersedes any choice that I should make for God, and so now I'm not going to make this decision for myself. The Bible tells us the enemy makes the leaders a target. The enemy offers another way. The enemy will try to bring that distraction. In verse 6 through 16, we read it. They, wrote a, they write a letter 
uh, accusing um, the, the Jews of, of, uh, and flattering the king and, and, and laying it out to be as though uh, the work which they're doing is not worthy. And so the king uh, turns back on his decree and, and that work in the forwardness of the ability for it to be able to go forward was ceased. And, and the people of God, uh, rather than uh, doing anything about that which had taken place or seeking to continue in the work, they stopped also. You know, if, if, if God forbid, but if, if the government would so seek to take such control of, of churches uh, and, uh, and, and of our lives, uh, would that so mean that we would place God as everything secondary? Again, we speak the truth in love. There's a proper way, decently in an order way to live the Christian life, way to do things, to represent Christ. The, 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 the goal is not to go climbing up buildings and, you know, riots and, 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 and throwing things around. That's, that's not what we're talking about. But, but we would, be, would we be so bold for God that if we were, everything else was stripped away from us in our, in our uh, method of worship, that we would still go forward in the means. That we would still seek to grow in Christ. That we would be as a Daniel and a, and a Shadrach and a Meshach and a Abednego, that when all others are bowing down, that we would give allegiance to the one who is worthy of worship. And even if it meant that we would be thrown into a fiery furnace. We talked about last week, and that last of those Beatitudes, what is it? Persecution. And Peter says, think it not a strange thing to happen to you if, if, if there should be fiery trials in your life. Because it's expected in the Christian life. But don't quit! And Christian, unfortunately, that's what's happened. How, how have we fallen away from a return to worship is because Christians have quit. Some are not separating. Some are not advancing. And how can we properly return back to where God intends for us to be as a part of the remnant? If we're not seeking to accomplish His work. So every head bowed and every eye closed. As I read this passage in my own heart and, and life, God speaks to my